So over the last couple of decades, there's a term, and it's actually funny because I thought this would have been around for like centuries, but there's a term that's become very popular in the last few decades that most of you are probably familiar with. If I were to ask you what is on your bucket list, most of you would know exactly what I'm asking, right? Everybody has their, their bucket list, things that they want to accomplish before they, before they die or before they kick the bucket. Now, for some of uh, this list could include things like, you know, going skydiving, right? Not on my list. I can promise you that. <laughs> Writing a book or visiting some place that you've always wanted to go. The list could also include things like meeting somebody that's really important to you, maybe a celebrity or a favorite author or, you know, something like that. It could also include things like reconciling a relationship that has been, you know, broken, that's currently broken. If I were to ask you today, what's on your bucket list, what would you say? Is there anything on your bucket list, things that you hope to accomplish before you kick the bucket? Anybody? Well, in 2004, <laughs> this, this kind of cracks me up that I'm actually opening with this. Country singer, all right, so I, oh, I closed with a country song last week, and then I thought of this song this morning, and, or for this morning, and I was like, do I even include it? Because people are going to get the wrong idea. People are going to think that I like country music, and, and I'm really, I mean, I like all types of music. I really do, um, but like country music really isn't like my favorite, so I'm just, I'm just telling you, okay? So if you picture me driving around my car listening to country music, you are... You're wrong. It, I couldn't even tell you a single country music station, okay? I don't do country music. But anyway, in 2004, country artist Tim McGraw wrote a song titled Live Like You Were Dying. Oh, you hear that? Mmm. 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 That, <laughs> that was such a good song. <laughs> like, okay, I can promise you, I have never said mmm on a, on a country music song. <laughs> but this was a good song. It's not a mmm song, but it was a good song. Anyway, so in, in this song by Tim McGraw, he's answering the question, one man's answer to the question about what he would choose to you know, do or how he would choose to live if he knew that he was dying. And, and the lyrics go like this. He said, I went skydiving. I went rocky mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness that I'd been denying. He said, I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't and I became a friend that a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing, fishing, that's totally country. <laughs> what, fishing, <laughs> hunting and fishing. All right, all of a sudden, going fishing, wasn't such an imposition, and I went three times that year I lost my dad. I finally read the good book, and I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And he said, someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Well, the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, you're all dying, right? We, we know that right? We know that. Each of us is one day closer than we were yesterday, right? You have one less day to live than you had yesterday morning. 
And last week in chapter 47, Joseph's father, Jacob, he described his life as a sojourning on the earth, right? Just a temporary stay. And we talked about the fact that that's true for all of us, right? That we're all just passing through, that we too are sojourners here on the earth. And in chapter 47, at the very end, well, not the very end, but where we left off last week in verse 28, we read these words, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. It was a longer stay compared to what we will have, right? But it was still a temporary stay. And so as we pick up our text this morning in our continuing study on the life of Joseph, we're going to pick up in verse 29, and Jacob is now 147 years old, and he is nearing now the point of his death. He doesn't have years left. He's down to days, okay? And while Jacob isn't, you know, spending his final days thinking about skydiving, uh, he's not thinking about riding a, a bull named Fu Manchu, right? That's a pretty funny thought, though, if you think about it. 147-year-old Jacob riding a bull named Fu Manchu. But he does have some things on his bucket list. He didn't call it a bucket list at that point, but he has some things that are on his heart and mind, things that he wants to say. There are people that, that Jacob wants to see before he says goodbye to his family and he finishes up his sojourn here on the earth. So we're going to pick up now in Genesis chapter 47, verse 29. Genesis 47, 29 says, And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. So these verses that wrap up chapter 47, they mark the first of three visits that Joseph is going to have with his father as he's approaching the final days of his life. And we're going to look at two of those uh, interactions today in chapter 48, and then we'll look at the third one uh, next week in chapter 49. But for the last 17 years, for the last 17 years, Jacob has been living not in, in the land of promise, not in the land of Canaan, but he's been living in Egypt where Joseph has been able to provide for his father and for his brothers and their families. And I mentioned this briefly last week, but there is an almost poetic symmetry here in this story. Because Jacob, if you recall, Jacob had provided for Joseph in the land of Canaan for how many years? 17 years, right? After 17 years of Jacob providing for his son in Canaan, his brothers sold him into slavery. And now here at the end of Jacob's life, his son is now providing for him for the last 17 years of his life. So Jacob is now at the point of his death. He's realizing that his sojourn is almost over, and so he calls for Joseph, his dear son, to come and to see him. Jacob has 
some dying wishes. These are things that he wants to happen after he dies. And he wants to make sure that these, you know, these wishes are going to be honored. So he calls for Joseph. Now, what's interesting about the fact that he called for Joseph is that he didn't call for Reuben, right? Who's Reuben? Reuben is his oldest son, right? And instead of calling for Reuben to come and fulfill the responsibilities of the firstborn son, he calls for Joseph. You see, not only, not only does Joseph, I think, have the means to make sure that, that Jacob's requests are honored, but as we've seen, as we've you know, made our way through this whole story, we know that, that Joseph has long been the firstborn son of Jacob in Jacob's mind, hasn't he? Why? Well, because he is the firstborn son of Rachel, his true love. So what does Joseph, or rather Jacob, what does Jacob want Joseph to promise? He wants Joseph to promise not to bury him in Egypt. He asked Joseph to place his hand underneath his thigh. I'm kind of glad that we don't do that today. That's kind of awkward. Like shake on it is a lot more comfortable for me. So let's just, let's just shake on it. So no, no hand under the thigh. But this is like the cultural equivalent of, of like swearing an oath, right? Making an oath right now. So he says, jo Joseph, put your hand under my thigh and promise me that you will take me to the land of Canaan where I can be buried with my ancestors. You see, even though Jacob had been in the land of Egypt for 17 years, he knew that Egypt was not his home, right? And they've been well taken care of in Egypt, haven't they? Joseph's been taking good care of them. In fact, we talked about last week that while the Egyptians are suffering greatly, Joseph is providing for Jacob and his family. They're flourishing. It says they were multiplying in the land of Egypt. Life is good for Jacob's family in the land of Egypt. And Jacob, as he's dying, wants to make sure that his family knows that this is not my home. You know, when we're comfortable and things are going good, it's easy to forget that this world is not our home. So God had made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He said, there's a land that I'm gonna give to you, and it was the land of Canaan. So Jacob says, don't bury me here. This is not my home. Bring me back to Canaan, the land of my ancestors. Bury me with Abraham and Sarah, my, my grandparents. Bury me with Isaac and Rebekah, my parents. Bury me with Leah, who I buried with them in the cave in Machpelah. We're gonna talk more about that location uh, next week. But there's something really special about what Jacob is doing here. You see, Jacob knows that he's about to die, and he's using his death as an opportunity to remind his family where they really belong. He's using his death to point them to the truth. You know, one of the sad things I think today is we try to shield ourselves from death, don't we? We try to avoid it. We need to understand that death is part of life. And as you think about your own death, you gotta be thinking about what am I communicating to my family in my life and what will I communicate to them in my death? You know that your, your memorial service is like your last chance to communicate 
to your family, what really mattered to you. Some of the greatest gifts that, that, that we as pastors have been given is to be able to sit down with, with a believer and, and, and talk about what they would like to happen at their memorial service. That, that we can actually go into a memorial service and said, so-and-so really wanted us to communicate this to you. That's what Jacob's doing here. He is communicating what's going to happen in his death. He's sending a message to his family. Brothers and sisters, the greatest blessing, the absolute greatest blessing that we can leave our loved ones is not a sizable inheritance of of cash and cars and land and homes, right? The greatest blessing that we can leave our loved ones is the knowledge that this world is not our home. That's the greatest gift you can give them. The, the, The knowledge that you are living your life and going into death with a confident hope that Jesus Christ is preparing an eternal home for you with him for all eternity. That's the greatest gift that you can give to your loved ones. So Jacob made Joseph swear to bring him back to the promised land. Promise me you'll take me back there. By the way, this is a a demonstration of Jacob's faith that God would bring his family back, that they weren't going to stay there. And he's saying, like, I know that one day this family is going back to Canaan, and when they go, I don't want to be buried down here in Egypt. I want my bones up in Canaan. You can read about that faith in Hebrews chapter 11, talks all about that. So Joseph promises his father, he says, I will make sure that you are brought back to the land of Canaan, to the land of promise. Then Jacob laid down on the bed to rest. Lays back down. Chapter 48, verse one. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength, and he sat up in bed. Now, the text doesn't tell us how long it's been between those two two visits, but Jacob's health has declined, okay? He, He met with Joseph, he made him promise, and then his health got worse, and someone calls and says, Joseph, your dad is nearing the point of his death. He receives one of those, you know, you'd better come quickly kind of phone calls, right? I'll never forget when I received that call in the middle of the night back in 2005. 2005, laying in bed, I got a phone call from my mom that said, you better come quickly. No idea it was coming. My dad had a massive heart attack and... Uh, They were able to keep him alive long enough for me and my siblings to come and see him in the hospital one last time. I am so grateful. I am so grateful that I had that opportunity to say goodbye to my father. What a gift that was. It's amazing. So Joseph, he gets the news. Dad's dying. And I'm sure Joseph was filled with grief I mean, he'd lost so much time with his dad. 22 years had been taken. Even the 17 years that they had didn't seem like long enough. But he goes, he sees his father immediately, and he brings with him his two sons that were born to him in Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim. And when he arrives, Jacob's caretaker, whoever's been taking care of Jacob, says, Joseph is here. Joseph has come to see you. And look at what Jacob does. 
He summoned his strength and he sat up in bed. Can you picture that? You ever seen that? Maybe you've gone to visit someone in their last hours and they're just summoning every little bit of strength they have to be able to sit up and to talk with you, to share that moment with you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, we're given a little extra insight into this, this moment that, that Jacob and Joseph are gonna have. Hebrews eleven twenty one 21 says, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, look at this, bowing in worship, over the head of his staff. Kind of a cool description. Can you picture the scene? This dying man is laying in bed. He barely has enough strength to keep going, right? But when he hears that Joseph is here, Jacob summons what little strength he has. He, he props himself up and sits on the edge of the bed and leans on his staff so that he can bless Joseph's sons. It's an amazing Picture, what a priceless moment, right, for Jacob and for Joseph. Verse three says, and Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. By the way, just a, just a side note here. Who owns the land of Israel? By the way, and this has been a, a battle for centuries, right? Whose land is it? It's God's land, is it not? And God gave it to the nation of Israel, what does it say here? As an everlasting possession. And so Jacob sits up in bed and he, he begins to talk to, to Joseph with, in, in what will be one of the final conversations that he has with his son. And he starts out by recalling the Lord's blessing on his life. Last week when he was talking to Pharaoh, he said, few and, and evil have been the years of my life. And I said, but they've also been blessed, haven't they? Jacob, as he's having this final conversation with Joseph, one of the final conversations he'll ever have, he says, I want you to know that I've been blessed. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. Now, Luz is the name of the city that Jacob renamed Bethel, Bethel. And actually, by the way, I think it, I read somewhere that Bethel is, 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 uh, is mentioned in Scripture more than any other place other than Jerusalem. Other than Jerusalem, this place is mentioned more than any other place. And Jacob named it um, after he had not one, but two encounters with God at this place. The first encounter that Jacob had was when he was just a young guy, right? He was fleeing from his brother Esau who wanted to kill him, and he was heading up to Padan Aram where he was going to eventually meet Rachel and Leah and develop, start a family. But at this point, he was single, and he was fleeing for his life, and he stops in Luz, and he has an encounter with God, and God promised to bless him. God said in Genesis chapter 28, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
right? And then in verse 19, in that same chapter, chapter 28, Jacob named that place, not Luz anymore, Bethel, which means the house of God. He named it the house of God. Then several chapters later, after Jacob became a family, right? And, and it's time to go back to the land of Canaan. He's traveling there. He's got a large family traveling with him. He moved back to Canaan. And when they came to Bethel, God met with Jacob again. In Genesis 35, God said to Jacob, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and the kings, excuse me, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Pretty amazing promise, right? That God had given to Abraham, to Isaac, and then to Jacob at Bethel. So the first thing that Jacob wants to make sure that Joseph understands is that God has blessed him. God has blessed him. He reminds Joseph that God had promised to build a nation through his family. He, he wants Joseph to know that God has promised to bring these people back and give them this land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. Verse five, Jacob continues and he says, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours and they shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. What's, what's Jacob doing right now? What's he doing here? What, what's going on? Jacob is adopting Joseph's sons, Ephraim, and Manasseh, he's adopting them now as his own sons. He says, just like Reuben, remember Reuben was the firstborn, and just like Simeon, my secondborn, just like they are my sons, now Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be like my sons. Actually, what Jacob is doing here is he's actually putting Ephraim and Manasseh in the position of Reuben and Simeon. He's saying that Ephraim and Manasseh will be treated as his firstborn and his secondborn. This is huge. This is a really big deal. Ephraim and Manasseh are not only going to receive th this blessing from Jacob, but centuries later, centuries later, after the whole time in Egypt and, and, and all the plagues in Egypt, when Moses leads the people out and they come with Joshua and they come into the land, when they come into the land, both Ephraim and Manasseh are going to receive allotments in the land. Well, that's interesting. In that way, in that way, that means that Joseph gets a double portion of the land blessing, doesn't he? A double portion. All the other brothers get one spot, right? But Joseph, his descendants, Ephraim and Manasseh, get separate in their own areas. So, so it's actually, that's why when we read the Old Testament, you don't, you know, like, why, why don't we ever see Joseph's name in, in the description? You do. You see Joseph's name listed as Ephraim and Manasseh, a double blessing in the land. 
One more thing that's worth calling your attention to in verse 5 is that when Jacob is talking about the adoption of Joseph's sons, he does something subtle, subtle, but he switches the order of their names and he places Ephraim, the younger, before Manasseh, the older. You notice when, if you go back to the first verse, it says Joseph came with his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. That's how Joseph viewed it. I got my oldest and I got my youngest. I'm bringing them to see dad. But when Jacob starts talking about the adoption of his sons, he said Ephraim first, then Manasseh. Verse seven, Jacob says, as for me, when I came from Padan, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So you remember the story, right, in, 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 in Genesis when they're coming back to the land and Rachel's about to give birth to Benjamin, but she dies while giving birth and Jacob is forced to bury his, his beloved wife, Rachel. And so as he's talking to Joseph about this idea that I'm adopting your sons as my own, he's actually honoring his deceased wife, Rachel, right? The one that he truly loved. He says, Rachel, you don't have just two boys, right? Joseph and Benjamin, we've got four. We've got Joseph and Benjamin, Ephraim and Manasseh. He's blessing and he's honoring his dear wife, Rachel. And it's a reminder of why Jacob has for so long looked at Joseph as his firstborn. It's because of his love for Rachel. In verse eight, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, this is kind of funny. Okay, so he's talking to Joseph this whole time, right? And then he, when, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? <laughs> And that's my best old man voice. (laughs) Joseph said to his father, these are my sons, the ones you've been talking about, whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he couldn't see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Poor Jacob, right? (laughs) Poor Jacob. He's 147 years old. He's barely got enough strength to sit up in bed. And on top of that, his eyesight is, is failing him. He can barely see. He just sees shadows, right? They tell him, your son Joseph is here. He's like, oh, that's great. He sits up in bed. And he's talking to Joseph, I'm going to adopt your kids, and they're going to become mine. Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be my boys. And who are these guys? (laughs) (laughs) Who's that? Who's that with you? Right? Joseph says, "It's, it's Ephraim. It's Manasseh, your grandsons. And so Jacob urges Joseph to bring him closer, and he's hugging his grandsons and kissing him, and he's just overwhelmed. This, this 147-year-old patriarch is overwhelmed at God's goodness and God's blessing. He's thinking, Man, Joseph, I didn't think I would ever see your face again. Man, when, when your brothers brought back your robe dipped and it was in blood, and I thought you were gone forever. And now, for the last 17 years, I've been able to look at you, Joseph, 
17 years. And not just you, I was blessed to be able to even see your offspring. Man, have I been blessed. God has been so good to me. Verse 12, then Joseph removed them from his knees. This is from, from Jacob's knees. And he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand. And he brought them near him. I want you to picture the scene. You need to picture the scene because if you just read it really quickly, people are like, oh, wow. So they were like sitting on Jacob's knees? No, these are grown men. I mean, they're, they're big boys at this point. They were born, we read the text. It said they were born before Jacob came down to, to Egypt. So at, at least they're like 18, 19, 20 years old, at least. So if 147-year-old frail grandpa, they're not sitting on his knees, Okay but they are pressed in close, maybe kneeling before their grandfathers. He's sitting on the edge of the bed and, and he's loving them. And, and, and then he's, Jacob says, I'm gonna bless your boys. And so Jacob, uh, Joseph rather, pulls his boys back, right? A blessing is about to happen. This is, a, this is a big deal. And Joseph bows down before his father. He's bowing before his dad. He's about to receive a blessing as his dad blesses his sons. And Joseph takes his sons and he pushes them forward, Right? And he's placed it in such a way that the birth order is right. He's placed it so that Ephraim is going to fall on dad's left hand and Manasseh, the oldest, is going to fall on dad's right hand as he pours out this blessing. So Joseph has made it really simple for dad, okay? Dad can't see. Let me just get this arranged right. You sit here, you sit here. Okay, now we go, okay? So he's bowing before his dad. He's got his hands like this, pushing his sons in front of him like this so dad can just reach out his hands put his hands on the boys and bless them. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens. Verse 14. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands like this. (laughs) And Joseph is like this. Head down, just like, here we go. Bless my boys, God. Uh, d- Dad, bless my boys. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Joseph's not going to be too happy when he finds out about it. But Jacob knows what he's doing. Jacob's not, you know, he might be failing in the eyes and he might be failing physically, but he's not failing up here. In fact, next week we're going to see just how strong Jacob's mind is and how much he remembers. But we'll get to that next week. But anyway, so there they are. Hands crossed over, verse 15. And he blessed Joseph. He blessed Joseph. But he's got his hands on Ephraim and Manasseh, right? What does that mean? He blessed Joseph. Well, by blessing Joseph, his, uh, Joseph's sons, he was blessing Joseph, right? You know that's true as a parent. When people pay attention and they, and they talk about your kids' You feel blessed, don't you? Yeah. Parents, that's like number one rule in youth ministry. You know? Love the kids, and trust me, you'll have the parents' hearts. All right? That's just how it goes. You, you're good to their kids. They're going to be good to you. All right, Jeff, I don't know where you are. Take notes, right? So what a blessing, though. He's blessing me. He said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, 
the God who has been my shepherd all my life along to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What an incredible blessing that he's pouring out on Joseph's sons. He calls on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and himself, right, Jacob, to bless these boys. The same God who who has been a shepherd guiding Jacob all his life, right, protecting him for all these years. The same angel, or literally messenger, who has redeemed Jacob from all his troubles. He's saying, this God, this God, bless these boys. By the way, in many of your translations, the A in angel is capitalized. It's not in the, in the ESV. But in many translations, it is capitalized. And that's because most people believe that, that this is a reference to a theophany, a theophany, which is an Old Testament appearance of God in human form. Do you remember the story of Jacob when he wrestled with God? Remember that story? Jacob, in Genesis chapter 32, it says he wrestled with a man, and then later in the chapter it says he wrestled with God. He wrestled with him. That's what this is alluding to. Jacob calls on God, the one who's been his faithful shepherd, the one who's protected him, the one who's been his redeemer. By the way, Jesus is our shepherd and our redeemer, is he not? He calls on this God to bless Ephraim and Manasseh and to let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. The same blessing that was with Abraham, the same blessing that was with Isaac, the same blessing that was with Jacob, he's saying, that blessing I am now passing on to your sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. What an incredible blessing. What an amazing opportunity for, I don't even know if Ephraim and Manasseh know how special a moment this is. I think Joseph did. It was an amazing blessing for both Joseph and his sons. But in verse 17, we read that when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. Joseph's not happy. He took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know. My son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So when Joseph looks up and he sees what's happening. He's, he's upset, right? He grabs his dad's hands and says, what are you doing? What are you doing, dad? By the way, I think this just shows that even a dying Jacob was stronger than a healthy Joseph. I mean, look at that. He's like, move my hands, boy. <laughs> Ain't happening. He says, dad, this isn't right. This is not the way we do things. Manasseh is the little one. He should be under your right Hand. You see, the right hand represented a position of honor and authority. 
That's why all through the New Testament, we receive, we read about Jesus. Where is Jesus currently? He is at the right hand of God the Father, right? In the position of honor and authority. So Joseph says, this isn't right. But I do find it a little funny. Just think about this for a second. He says, this isn't right, Dad, that you're, you're blessing you know, the younger over the older. You know, Joseph doesn't have any problem with the fact that Dad is blessing his kids instead of Reuben. <laughs> you know, Dad... I know you want to bless my boys and everything, but technically Reuben's the oldest, so you really should be blessing him. Joseph doesn't say that, right? Joseph is totally good. Hey, Dad, bless my boys. Absolutely, that's awesome. Whoa, whoa, no, not the younger. Bless the older. That's the right thing to do, Dad. <laughs> Dad should have said, great, you're right. Bring in Reuben. <laughs> you had your chance, Joseph. You blew it. You totally blew it. No. He doesn't do that. Joseph protests, right? But Jacob persists. He says, Joseph, I know what I'm doing. Both of your sons are going to be blessed, but Ephraim will be greater than Manasseh. And Jacob was right. Eventually, the tribe of Ephraim will become the dominant tribe in the northern part of Israel. In fact, during the period of the divided kingdom, you remember after, the, after David and Solomon died that the kingdom of Israel was divided in two, 10 tribes in the north, two in the south, right? The northern tribe became known as the tribe of uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, or Ephraim. When you're reading the Old Testament, you're reading the prophets and it's talking about Ephraim this and Ephraim that, what's it talking about? It's talking about the 10 northern tribes after in the period of the divided kingdom. In the southern area, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, became known as the tribe of, or the nation of Judah. So you got Judah in the south, Israel or Ephraim in the north. Jacob was right. Ephraim would be so dominant and so large that you could say Ephraim, and that would mean Israel. Now, I think it's also important to point out here that this whole idea, because Joseph is saying, Dad, this is wrong. You're not supposed to do this. You need to understand that the blessing of the firstborn does not always go to the one born first. It's not simply a matter of just birth order. It's actually a matter of a word, we use the word preeminence, preeminence. That's by the way, in the, is it Colossians that says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation? It means that he's preeminent. He's not the first created being as though he never existed and then he became something. No, it means that he is preeminent over all creation. He's the one in honor, the one in power. And it's not the first time, by the way, it's not the first time that this has happened where, you know, the, the, the second born or a later born is chosen over the first born. You may remember that Abraham, Abraham blessed Isaac. Isaac wasn't the oldest. Ishmael was the oldest. And then Isaac's blessing didn't go to Esau, who was the oldest. It went to Jacob, albeit through a little bit of trickery on Jacob's part, right? And now here, Jacob is not blessing Reuben. He's blessing Joseph's sons. And he's not blessing Manasseh. He's blessing Ephraim. It also happened when, uh, during the time of the kings. After Saul died, God chose David to be the next king of, of his people, Right? Jacob, uh, excuse me, David wasn't the oldest, was he? He was the youngest of Jesse's son. You remember that story, right? When, 
when uh, Samuel goes to appoint who's going to be the next king. And he's like, wow, this, this guy looks awesome. He'd be an awesome king, son of Jesse. He's like, wow, he's amazing. And God says, don't even look at him. Don't even look. No, not going to happen. I got somebody else in mind. And we're told why. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, we're told that the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. If you make no mistake, God chose David, right? God chose David. But God also chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. He chose Jacob. And he's choosing Ephraim now. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah 31 verse 9 says, I am a father. This is God saying this. I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn, Ephraim. Verse 20, so he, Jacob, he, he blessed them that day saying, by you, Israel will pronounce blessings saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. I'm told actually that that, that actually still happens in some formal uh, uh, Jewish gatherings that they actually still pray this blessing. May God bless you as Ephraim and Manasseh. I thought that was kind of in interesting. Jacob says, don't, don't worry, Joseph. Don't worry. They're both going to be greatly blessed. In fact, when people want to pronounce blessings in Israel, they're going to say, bless you like God blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse 21, then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. The faith of Jacob, even in these dying moments, knowing that, that what God had promised, he was going to fulfill. God is going to grow this, this family into a nation and he's going to bring them back to the land that he had promised. Moreover, verse 22 Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. <clears throat> now, when exactly, when exactly Jacob captured this land from the Amorites, you, read, you can read it. Read your whole Bible, Genesis or Revelation. You're not going to see it spelled out exactly that Jacob went and did this. But apparently at some point, at some point, either Jacob himself or Jacob's descendants are going to capture this land from the Amorites. And Jacob is either pointing to something that's already happened or he's prophetically speaking about something that's going to happen. And he says, and I want you to have that land. I want you to have that land. And there's an interesting play on words that's happening here in this, uh, this, um, this verse. And I, I, my Hebrew's not great, okay? But the, the word that's used for the mountain slope. And some of your translations might say something different, like a portion of land or a shoulder, is the word, it's like sechem, okay? And it means shoulder, okay? And it's interesting because it's a little bit, possibly a play on words because this land that he's giving to his son Joseph is the land in the area of shechem, shechem. Biblical Shechem. That's the same place, remember, where, where Joseph's two sons murdered all the men, right? We're going to talk about that in more detail next week. You're like, yes, that sounds awesome. So, but Shechem, interestingly enough, that land of Shechem is a modern-day Nablus. 
And it's the location where Joseph is actually going to end up being buried. Uh, this is the area where Joseph is buried. You see it in the news all the time. If you watch Israeli news, uh, Nablus is a hot spot for terrorism in, in Israel. Um, that's the land that uh, Jacob gives to Joseph. In fact, in John chapter 4, John chapter 4, verse 5, you guys remember the story where Jesus is going up through Samaria and he meets with the woman at the well? Remember that? Jesus uh, says in John chapter 4, verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. This is the, this is the location. So in this text that we're reading, we're talking about, about Jacob giving Joseph this land and then when we get to the New Testament, everybody knew that that land near Shechem in Sychar is the land that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph, and it's the land where he would be buried. You read about that in Joshua 24. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter 48. It's really hard for me to believe, but we've got two chapters left, two weeks, and we're going to wrap up our series on the life of Joseph. Next week in chapter 49, Jacob is going to call for all of his sons. It's the final moments. He's going to call all of his sons to gather around for one last visit with their father. And Jacob is going to pronounce blessings. And he's also going to speak some really hard truth uh, to some of his sons. And it is a, it's a remarkable passage, uh, chapter 49. I had thought about trying to press through and do both of those today, the whole blessing, right, with Ephraim, Manasseh, and all his sons today. But there's just so much good to look at next week in chapter 49 that we're going to do that one separately. Uh, next week. But for this morning, for this morning as we close, I want to focus our attention on the fact that Jacob, as he's preparing to leave this world, he chose to use what little strength he had left to pronounce blessings on the people that he loved. He wanted to remind his family of where they truly belong. He wanted to make sure that they knew that the things that God had promised, God was going to be faithful to come through on. God is going to accomplish exactly what he said he would. And as I mentioned earlier, the greatest blessing that we can leave our loved ones is the knowledge that this world is not our home. That Jesus is preparing an eternal home for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Brothers and sisters, none of us, none of us really knows how much time we have left. Right? We think we do. We live like we've got you know, 100 years left to live. And I don't know if there's anybody in this room that has 100 years left to live. Maybe, maybe Sammy and Clive if they're running around here somewhere. None of us knows. Some of us might have days left. Some of us weeks, months, years. Some of us might have decades left to live. It would be an amazing thing if we chose to use whatever time we have left, be it days or be it decades, it'd be an amazing thing if we chose to use the time we have left to be a blessing to those we love, to be a blessing to those around us, speaking truth, not asking you to compromise on truth, speak the truth, but can we do it in love? Can we tell people the truth about their need for a savior without being almost sounding like you're happy that they're going to hell? You know? We want to do it in love. We want to see people come to know Jesus and have the same hope that we have, that when we die, we're going to heaven. We're going to be with Jesus for all eternity. And we carry that. We're, we're image bearers, right? 
We're ambassadors for Christ. We get to bring that good news to people. I pray that we get excited about that, that we would point others to Jesus. At this time, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Uh, we're going to close our, our, our time together with a song. As they're coming up, I want to read just a few words that God spoke to Moses in the book of Numbers. Okay? Mo- he spoke to Moses, and he said, Moses, I want you to tell these things to Aaron, the, priest, the priests. Speak this to Aaron and to his sons. He says, I want your sons, I want them to pronounce blessings over my people, Israel. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27, we can read these words. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You will say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Verse 27, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You know, I wonder, I wonder, are we praying that type of blessing over the people in our lives? pronouncing blessings over them, praying for them, asking God to lift up his face towards them, his countenance to shine upon them, to give them peace. Are you praying for them? Asking God to bless them and asking God to make himself known to them? What an opportunity we have. Brothers and sisters, I want to be known, and I want us as a church to be known as a people who are blessing those who are around us. We want to speak the truth. We never want to compromise on what God's word has said, right? But we don't have to compromise the truth to be loving and to be a blessing to the people around us, do we? We can let our light shine. And we can let our light shine in such a way that people see our good deeds and they do what? They glorify our Father in heaven. That's our opportunity. That's our calling. Let's show people by the way we live and by the words that we speak that our hope is firmly established. It's a confident hope in Jesus Christ and that he is preparing a home for us. This world is not my home. It's not. My hope is not here. I definitely pray for blessings on our country. I pray for blessings on Israel. But I know that I know that I know that my home is in heaven. And no matter how bad things get here, nothing can take that from us. Amen?